Well, hey there, Heritage. Whether you're here at Rock Island or Bettendorf Campus, Kiwani, or online, I just want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm glad you're here. Just turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm glad you're here. You don't have to know them. They may be across the room. Give them the wink, the nod. I'm glad you're here. Man, every time the church gathers as the church, it's a good day. We get to worship, we get to pray, and, and now next we get to study. And our study time is an extension of a conversation we started two weeks ago that we've been calling Family Octagon. We're really looking at how we fight for what matters most because we understand life can feel like a knockdown, drag out battle against people, even the people closest to us. Yet we're created for relationships to be marked by joy and, and unity and intimacy. And it's really hard to find and see those things in the conflict, in the daily struggle and battle. Which is why we're seeking to understand how we fight for what matters most. Now, we started the conversation week one by looking at how we view ourselves. And last week, we took some time to just dig into a few ground rules. And you can see the full conversations online. But in case you missed last week and the ground rules, I just want to revisit the top three ground rules that, that come along with fighting for what matters most. They're simply to love God, love others, and be like Jesus. Jesus said, these are the top two greatest commandments, the love God, love others. Those are the top two ground rules for fighting for what matters most. And right behind it comes being like him, living like him. And what we're going to do today is we're going to actually move the conversation to understand how what we do before the fight is just as important as what we do in the fight. What we do before is just as important as what we do during the fight. Now, uh, when I was in the army, I was actually part of the military police, and in one phase of my training, I was at Fort McClellan, Alabama for my officer basic course. And when I got there, they put me in a group in a class, and our class had a number, and our class was assigned to come up with a motto that would just direct our time together. And we came up with this motto, train to fight, fight to win. Train to fight, fight to win. That, that's not bad. That's kind of catchy. It's motivational. It's good for a military motto. And it actually has some relevance even for us in this conversation. We took that motto, we put it on a flag called a guidon, and, and it had our class number, it had the MP logo, and then it had train to fight, fight to win. In fact, uh, I still have that flag, that guidon. My, my classmates gave it to me. I, I've had it for 25 plus years, and I wanted to show it to you today, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> 25 years in a box somewhere, it's still there, but I couldn't find it. Yet the concept that what's written on it, to, to train to fight and fight to win, is helpful for us in this conversation, especially for families and families of faith. Now we have to understand something, that it's God who defines the win. And these ground rules really help set up our understanding of what a win is. He defines the win. And when we're talking about a fight, we're not talking about encouraging a physical altercation or aggression. We're talking about fighting for healthy relationships. We're talking about fighting for genuine community and for intimacy. We're not talking about or encouraging conflict. We're just recognizing that there is a battle around relationships, and that battle is a spiritual battle, and it's not, it's not against flesh and blood. It plays out in flesh and blood, which is why these ground rules are so important. <laughs> we know that there is a battle, and we want to make sure that we're, 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 we're fighting the right fight, because there is, a, there is a way to win, and there's a way to lose, and, and there's a, way to, a right way and a wrong way to fight. And today, as we just move the conversation a bit more, I want to lean into understanding that what we do before, during, and after the fight matters. It's not just the fight itself. It's what we do before, during, and after. 
the ground rules play into that, how we're functioning in that matters. And we need to understand how it all plays out. In fact, I want to start by checking out the, the words of Paul to his apprentice, Timothy. This is in 2 Timothy, and, and this is about halfway down in your note guide. You can read it there, or you can follow along up here in the screen. But here's what he said. He said, share in, the sufferings, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So there's that military metaphor again. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. The one he serves, the, the one with authority, that's the goal. And, and an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So a soldier or an athlete, male or female, they, they, they fight under the authority of the one they serve, and they don't win the fight unless they're following the rules. There's the ground rules again coming into the equation. And, and, and for us, as we lean into this, we need to understand that what we do before, during, and after the dynamic matters. How we prepare matters significantly, and many fights are lost before they ever begin, especially in families. Either because we're fighting for the wrong thing, or we're not following the ground rules, which means we don't win, or we don't understand the importance of preparation. We don't understand the importance of what we need to do beforehand, so that in those moments we can respond rather than just react. They were actually ready and trained to respond in the moment and respond the right ways. What we do beforehand actually matters. Maybe it helped to think this way. If you were going to prepare to go on a road trip, if we're going to go on a trip, what do, we need to do, what do we need to do before that? We need to pack, right? If we're going to take a test or an exam, what do we need to do beforehand? We need to study. If we're going to go to an interview, before we go to the interview, we should prepare, if we're going to host a dinner, we need to plan and we need to cook. And if we're, we're going to enter a fight, we need to train. We need to train. We need to be able to be ready to respond and not simply react in the moment. And what we do before a fight is just as important as what we do in the fight. Now, in our conversation last week, we went through some ground rules and we kind of addressed some realities. One of the realities is whenever we fight against those we should love, we've already lost. That's true, because we're not called to fight against people, we're called to fight for people. We also looked at the reality that when we mismanage our emotions, we end up misusing our gifts. Which is also really true, because when emotions are leading us in a fight, it gets all the more complicated, and we really want the Holy Spirit to be leading. But one of the other realities we looked at had to do with sacrifice, and here's what it was. The most significant things in life are found on the far side of sacrifice. The most significant things in life, the most meaningful things, the worthwhile things are found, are, are, are experienced on the other side of sacrifice, on the other side of investment, on the other side of even selfless love. That's where we find there's, there is no exception. And most of that sacrifice actually takes place in the cost of training. Uh, what's happening before we engage in a fight? If we're going to fight for what matters most, most of the sacrifice and cost takes place before the fight. Which gets us to our first fill-in in your note guide. That preparing to live sacrificially requires sacrifice. So preparing to live sacrificially requires sacrifice. So if we're, if we're going to live a life of sacrifice, we need to sacrifice before that. It's not just sacrifice in the moment, it's sacrificing before. Preparing to live sacrificially requires sacrifice. Every fighter knows that the fight begins well before they enter the octagon. Well before the other, before the bell rings. Well before the fight actually starts in that space in the ring. That battle is actually taking place and, and, and occurring earlier. It's in the training, it's in the discipline, it's in the, the mental and physical preparations. It's that discipline of, of determining to be, pre to be ready 
And, and the outcome of the fight is influenced well before the fight begins. It's what's happening ahead of time. But the most significant things, the most significant things are found on the far side of sacrifice. That is true. And the reality is that sacrifice starts before the fight, well ahead of the fight. And if we're not doing it, we end up being reactive and not responding in those moments that we should be fighting for what matters most. But that sacrifice comes as painful sometimes. There's a great reminder in Hebrews 12 that says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful. All training seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Those who have been trained by it. What we do before the fight actually matters. Preparing to live sacrificially requires sacrifice now, not just then, not just later in the fight. And that's one reason why we landed our conversation last week with a specific invitation to decide today how we will fight tomorrow. To decide today how we will fight tomorrow. Not, not, not just decide how, but how, who we will fight for tomorrow. Because if we're leaving that decision for the moment, the heat of the moment, that's always problematic. In those spaces, emotion will lead rather than wisdom. And again, we want the Holy Spirit to lead us in the moments that we're trying to fight for what matters most. So we need to decide today how we will fight tomorrow. But not just decide today, we actually need to do something else. We need to train today. So if you're still tracking a note guide, train well today to fight well tomorrow. That's the invitation. To train well today, to fight well tomorrow. Train to fight, fight to win. The, the outcome of many fights is determined well before the actual fight begins. It's true in marriage, it's true in a workplace, it's with our kids, our grandkids, it's true in the figurative octagon and the literal octagon. The outcome of the fight is often determined well before it ever begins. Because how we train determines how we fight. And what we do beforehand in preparation and practice matters. So the opportunity is to train well today, to fight well tomorrow. And I want to spend our time together today doing exactly that. Training well today so we can fight well tomorrow. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to the New Testament to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is found after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You find 1 and 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9. And these are the words of Paul to the church in Corinth. And there is a specific directive to train well in this passage. So here we go. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Hold there for a second. There is a right way and a wrong way to fight. There is a way to win and a way to lose. There, there is a right way and a wrong way to compete. So run in such a way as to get the prize. Verse 25, everyone who competes, that means who competes for real, in the games goes into strict training. If you're going to compete for real, you got to go into strict training because what happens beforehand actually matters. Now I have to tell you this, uh, the Heritage Ministry team is currently involved in a fantasy football league. I don't know if any of you have ever been involved in fantasy football, but I want to tell you I'm in that league and I am currently one and five. That is one win and five losses and I'm about to be one and six. Because here's what I did. I signed up, but let the computer draft my players. I let the computer put all my players in spots each week. And that has not gone very well for me. I am not winning. And I am also not competing with intentionality. If we're really going to compete well, we've got to plan. We've got to invest. We go into strict training and preparation. And Paul says, if you're going to compete, they go into strict training. But, 
Those folks, they do it for a crown that will not last. That's like bragging rights in a fantasy league for those of you who will actually win that. Just saying. But, but for those, for we, those who follow Jesus, but we, those who follow Jesus, do it to get a crown that will last forever. For what matters most, not just bragging rights and other stuff. Therefore, verse 26, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer, uh, boxer beating the air. That's shadow boxing. No, I strike a blow to my body. The, the literal Greek there is I pummel my body and I make it my slave. I'm, I'm purposeful in training. I'm purposeful in sacrifice so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Listen, there is pain in the preparation Pain now for a win later. And Paul is saying, look, if you want to compete for real, you got to go into strict training. He's describing sacrifice and discipline, that the reality of forfeiting one thing to receive another, where you, you sacrifice here to experience the win later. You, you train to fight and you fight to win. It's the hard work ahead of the match that creates the window and the space for an opportunity to win. It's that sacrifice that that positions us to be able to win the right prize as we fight for the right things in the right way. So when we step into a moment where we should be fighting for what matters, we don't just react to it, we respond, having been equipped and trained and prepared. Now, some of you know I have two boys, two sons, Joshua and Daniel. My youngest son, Daniel, this is him in a picture recently when I was visiting him at college. He's a funny dude, and uh, that was supposed to be a serious picture, but that's what he does in most pictures. He's a, he's a freshman and he's studying criminal justice because he has a very, very clear call and sense, uh, sense of calling to law enforcement. And, and, and he's preparing for that. Now, as a dad and as a former state trooper, I, I want him to serve wherever God wants him to serve. But having been in that field, I also feel compelled to download everything I possibly can to him to position him for success, to let him learn everything I learned out of my journey in law enforcement. So we've been very intentional in, in doing that, whether that's driving or sitting at restaurants with situational awareness or marksmanship or, or reviewing training videos, which that's cops in Life PD, if you didn't know that. That's all training video, people. But one of the things we did last spring, we started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu together, which is a uh, kind of a foundational discipline within mixed martial arts, uh, cage fighting. It's, it's really ground fighting. It's not about inju causing injury. It's about submission and compliance. It's about controlling the dynamic. And it's really helpful, especially if he does land in law enforcement and ends up in an altercation. Now, something to understand about Daniel is that he has loved to wrestle me since he was little. It, just as a little guy, we would wrestle for hours, roll around on the floor. He would come at me tenaciously. And, and as a little guy, man, I could just handle him. I just one hand, just take care of business and right there. But he would come after me and he'd recruit his brother. They'd double team. And then I'd just like get both of them going because they're little. You can just take them. And I had strength, but I guarded that strength in that season. But here's the deal. As they grew bigger and stronger, I had to start to use more skill than strength. <laughs> And I'm trained by the military, trained by the state police, so I could do that for a period of time. But the more Daniel has grown in stature and strength, the more he has developed his skill and trained, it's gotten a lot more difficult for me. And I think we've actually inverted roles where it started where I guarded my great strength and created space for him to wrestle. I think he's guarding his great strength against his old man. Because every time we spar, I hurt for days afterwards. And I, we've never really just gone all out, maybe don't really know who would win, but I'm pretty sure he's holding back out of respect for me at this point. Because listen, training makes us better. 
We, we train to fight. We fight to win. And, and that training dynamic improves. And it takes sacrifice. It, it may even involve pain. But, but Hebrews 12 reminds us that that, 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 may, that pain may be a reality in the moment. But it yields a fruit for those who are, who are, who are trained by it. Who learn from it. Training is our doorway to getting better. We can get better in our marriage. We can get better in our parenting. We can get better in our workplace when we are intentional in preparing and training. Now, I get it. Look, as families, we fight. We say things that we don't really mean. We lash out. We cause harm. We disappoint people, and then they lash out at us, and then we counter with defensiveness, trying to overcome the injustice of being lashed at ourselves. It gets emotional. It gets intense. One of the realities about people, the beauty of humanity, is that there is passion, there is tenacity, there, there is love, there is feeling. Those are beautiful things, but when they are unguarded, they become the very things that cause harm. They become the very things that create injury in our relationships and our dynamic. When we, when we don't know how to guard that strength, and we, when we don't train to be able to manage it well. And every unguarded strength always becomes a liability. Every unguarded strength becomes liability. And we all have strengths. We all have strengths God's given us. There's strengths in relationships that we have in particular dynamics. But when they're unguarded, they become liabilities. Let me give you an example. I am deeply committed to excellence, a passion for excellence. But unguarded, that's perfectionism. And we all have strengths that if we don't train well, we don't guard those strengths, they become liabilities. So we have to engage in discipline and learning. Without that, Passion becomes the intensity that, by which we justify arguing. Without that, tenacity becomes the inability to know when to stop. Without being intentional and guarding and training, insight into the person that we are to love becomes the weapon by which we undercut them, take them out at the knees to win the moment. The, the pain of training is essential to avoiding the liability and the pain of an unguarded strength. I came across a, a quote just this week that I think is a helpful reminder and even insight for our conversation. It says that we must all suffer from one, or two, one of two pains, the, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. The difference is discipline weighs ounces while regret weighs tons. That's a really good reminder. We have all faced the pain of regret. But hopefully we're willing to lean more into the pain of discipline. See, pain in and of itself is not a bad thing. Just because there's pain or hardship or difficulty doesn't mean it's outside of God's purpose and plan. That's a false paradigm in many church and, and Christian circles. All we have to do is look at the life of Jesus marked by significant pain, hardship. But he completely lived in obedience perfectly before God. John the Baptist, someone who gave his entire life to proclaiming the coming of Jesus, falsely accused, put in prison, and beheaded. The idea that hardship or pain inherently pulls us and pushes us outside of any purpose of God is actually false. We're going to talk more about that. Because the reality is we, we have all faced the pain of regret, but, but we really have the opportunity to face the pain of discipline because that weighs less than the pain of regret. If we're willing to prepare and do the work ahead of time, the, the biggest factor in, in fighting well in not leaving strengths unguarded, in not incurring the pain of regret, the biggest factor is our heart. It's our heart. See, we all have things that matter to us. And those things ultimately determine what we do, where we invest, how we live. And, and every day, 
We place value on those things, which then lead us to choose what we pursue, what we protect, even what we fight for. And each of those choices reveals something about who we are, but they don't just do that. They also, also reveal our heart. They actually determine what's possible and impossible in our lives because the reality of our heart dictates more than we often realize. There's lots of scriptures about how the heart directs and influences and shapes how we live, but we looked at one last week. I want to go back to it quickly. It's Proverbs 4. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart because it's a strength, but unguarded, it's a liability. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard the heart because it determines everything else that we're doing. It's, it's key. But the world says, look, just follow your heart. Just, just do whatever it says. If it feels good, go ahead and do it. But God gives very different counsel to us. He says, lead your heart. He says, lead it. Take full responsibility for its condition, its location, where, it, where it's focused, what's in, what it's pursuing. And training our heart allows us to, to take that responsibility. It allows us to recognize that that. Our heart can pursue different things. They can be good, they can be bad. They can be right, they can be wrong. And what it's pursuing actually matters because it determines everything else in our life. Yet we can, we can actually move our heart and train it and focus it to pursue the right things. We can, we can take our heart and, and, and teach it to follow other things. We can't change our heart. Only God can change a heart. But we can actually take our heart and, and, and have it focus on other things. We can, we can equip it to follow the word of God. But there, there's, a, there's a catch in understanding how we do that. And it's this simple reality that our heart was not created to lead, but to follow. When, when God created our heart, it was created to, to, to follow, not lead. It was created to follow him. So our heart is not leading. Our heart is following, and it'll follow whatever it's out in front of or whatever, it's, whatever it desires. And we need to make sure that it's following the, the one who made it, that it's following the word. Because our heart was created to lead, not to follow which makes training it to follow the purposes and priorities of God, the things of God, all the more important because it's tempted to drift. And when it drifts, the ripple's significant. Here's an interesting statement that helps us see this a little deeper. Watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, it becomes destiny. This is a real reality. It's a real sequence that happens and it's all rooted in the heart. And if we don't guard our heart and we don't guard our strengths, we end up experiencing a ripple with great tragedy and great pain of regret as opposed to the pain of discipline. It's good advice to guard our hearts. It's good advice to, to live sacrificially. But there's a, there's a fundamental reality to understanding and ultimately or subsequently fighting for what matters most. And I want to lay that out for us for a moment because it helps us to know what we're fighting for and it helps us evaluate if we're fighting for what matters most. And you can draw this in your note guide if you like or you can just kind of follow along as I do this. But there is this thing called the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked a lot about this. In fact, within the New Testament alone, there are 147 references to the kingdom. The kingdom of God is, is the place of, of his rule and his reign, his authority. It's the thing that Jesus is intentionally trying to reestablish fully. It, it, the kingdom is a reality. Now, in contrast to the kingdom, though, is not earth. In contrast to the kingdom, the obstacle to kingdom is not earth. Jesus talked about things in heaven happening on earth. Jesus talked about heaven intersecting earth. The, the obstacle 
to kingdom is not earth. The obstacle to kingdom is actually comfort. When it comes to kingdom and issues of kingdom, comfort is the alternative. Comfort is the competition. Kingdom inherently challenges and disrupts our comfort. It, Jesus said, in this world you have trouble. Kingdom comes with trouble. It disrupts our comfort. And it puts attention in our lives. Now, beyond that, the reality of kingdom is that we're invited into it. So we can be there, but reality is others are included. So there's this cross piece between us and others. And what this becomes is really a great filter by which we can run all of our investments, our relationships, and what we fight for to see if it is actually something that matters most if we're really fighting for what matters most. Because if we actually choose self and comfort, it puts us in this quadrant, and that is a place that we are selfish. It's a place marked by pride, it's a place marked by ego, and it is not God's plan or purpose. If we're someone who chooses things of God and ourselves, well, that's actually monastic. It, it, it's a place that we end up self-righteous because it's devoid of others. It's devoid of the second ground rule. Love God, love others. It is not God's purpose and plan for us. Yet we can say, all right, well, I'm gonna prioritize others and their comfort. This is the space that I am going to love people. I'm gonna prioritize them and what they want, but I'm gonna tell you that, although more selfless, is not love. This is the space of love. In the kingdom of God in his authority, his ground rules. God himself is love. He does nothing apart from it. This is a place of, of where we can love God and love others. This is the space by which we fight for what matters most. This is the space that Paul calls Timothy to live in. This is the space that Jesus modeled for us. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. But then he also said the two ground rules are to love God, love others. He sets us up to live in this space, to live in the up, up and to the right quadrant. This is where we fight for what matters most. We will never fight for what matters most in these three quadrants because this is not what matters most. This arena is self-indulgence. This arena, we, don't, we, we think we can love God without loving others. We have not understood the heart of God or his word. The only place that we fight for what matters most is here. We will never fight for what matters most in the other because that is not what matters most. And, and the kingdom inherently calls us to forfeit comfort for that kingdom. It puts attention, comfort, kingdom. And I get there is security in comfort and there is risk in kingdom, but there are healthy ways to pursue it. And if Jesus is our Lord, if he has authority in our life, then that should be reflected in how we spend our time, how we engage in relationships, what we actually fight for. And if we are spending time, talent, treasure in the three other quadrants, it puts his lordship in our lives as suspect. Because the only place that his lordship is clearly apparent is up and to the right. He gets to decide, he gets to direct. Check out what Paul actually goes on to encourage Timothy with in, in his training. And this is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, verse 7, stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as religion. <laughs> silly stories like, it's all about you. Silly stories like, it doesn't matter about anybody else as long as you're okay with God. The silly stories that 
just give people what they want. That's what love is. Stay, steer clear. Stay clear of those silly stories that get dressed up as religion, that it's all about our comfort. Stay clear of those things. Instead, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Train hard. Sacrifice now. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. Kingdom of heaven. You can count on this. Take it to heart. This is why we've thrown ourselves into, the venture, into this venture so totally. We're all in, kingdom and others, up and to the right. We're banking on the living God, Savior of all men and women, especially believers. We're, we're, we're living up and to the right. We're depending on him most in that space. And Paul is telling Timothy, look, physical training is good, but training for godliness is better. Training for kingdom work and kingdom living is better. Training and guarding your heart is better. It matters in this life and the next. So with that understanding, let's, let's just go to some specific training tips. It's our so what reality in this conversation. Just training is the doorway to getting better. It's how we improve in our, our relationships. It's how we improve with God and with others. So training, and I really want to make sure this series is very practical as we lean into understanding how to thrive in relationships. We want to give those handholds so you can thrive in your marriage, you can thrive with your kids, you can thrive with their friendships. In fact, if you're parenting right now, you're grandparenting, or you hope to be parenting or grandparenting at some point, I want to just give you a heads up that in the near future, we're going to start to push out some family life hack videos, just, just one-minute videos that give some helpful tips for families to thrive, for relationships to thrive. We'll push them out through social media and a couple other mediums, but be prepared to check those out and to lean into those moments. It's one of the ways to train. It's one of the ways to get better. But for today, I actually want to invite us to consider doing three things, three specific things. The first is simply this, to be ready. To be ready. Every day, every single interaction with God is a training opportunity. And training makes us better. And one of the primary ways that we prepare and train in our relationship with God is to study the Bible. To know what it says. To know what it says about who we are. To, to know what it says about who He is and, and how He works. And specifically, Paul tells Timothy these things about the Scriptures. That it's all God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God is useful for equipping us for every good work, for every opportunity and every battle. And when we prepare for the wrong battle, we prepare for the wrong fight, we end up fighting the wrong fight. And one of the ways that we avoid fighting for the wrong things is to let the Bible lead our heart. To, to train it to follow His Word. The writer of Psalm 119 said, I have, I've, hidden my word in, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Because he understood that guarding our heart, that focusing our heart on following his word was essential for living in righteousness and holiness and pleasing God. And he also understood that when we sin, we, any sin, we sin against God. Even when we sin alone, in private, when we sin against another person or we sin with another person, it is first and foremost against God. He is creator. He is holy. When we sin, we sin first and foremost against him, and we've all done it. And the only way we get to live in the up and to the right quadrant is by reconciling that brokenness, 
We've got to find forgiveness. And the only way we find forgiveness is through Jesus. When we ask Jesus to take over and have authority in our life and wash us clean from the sacrifice he already paid, man, now we can move into that up and right quadrant. Now we can live there in that space. That's a readiness component. If you've not stepped in relationship with God that way, I encourage you to do so. On the back of your note, God is a prayer that allows you to step up and to the right in a relationship with God through Jesus, finding forgiveness. But once that happens, the second component is to actually walk in a space where we don't keep on sinning. And the way we do that is by arming ourselves with Scripture, with, with truth. Look, one of the biggest places that many of us battle is just within ourselves, in our own headspace. We, we actually can end up fighting against ourselves. We can be people who tear ourselves down, we criticize ourselves, we doubt, we let shame and condemnation creep in. And then in that space, we think we don't deserve to live in the up and right quadrant. We think we deserve something much less. We think we have to be separated from God forever. None of that stuff is true. We're actually, that negative talk is actually fighting the wrong fight. We, we can be reconciled to God. We can walk in relationship to him. The Bible reminds us who we are. The, the Bible tells us who God created us to be. And when we understand his word, it makes us ready to fight the fight and to live into that. So I encourage you to read and reread scripture. I encourage you to memorize specific passages that are good reminders of who you are in him. To write them down on three by five cards and put them around your house or in your car or your workspace. Read the word of God. Journal. This is the guidebook. This is how we get ready. We can be ready by training our heart and mind, hiding his word in our heart so that our heart follows his word. That's first, is to be ready. The second is to be with. The second tip is to be with. To be with God and to be with those we're supposed to love. With, not against. We're fighting for, we're not fighting against. With, as in alongside. But in that space, make time to be with people. Train the relationship. One of the realities about Daniel and I training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is that it has dramatically deepened our friendship and relationship. We, we now communicate differently. We hear each other differently. We understand each other differently. We're aware of each other more fully. And our nonverbals have gone through the roof, which drives Beth nuts. <laughs> but it was because we've been with. Be with. Train the relationship. I found a stat this week that said that the average American adult spends 41% of their time in front of a screen. 41% of their time. And some say that that is a stat that lasts a whole lifetime. Look, if, if we're going to be able to fight what matters most, we've got to be with. You've got to be with God, and you've got to be with your peeps. You've got to create the space to be with. And Jesus emphasized this training reality, emphasized proximity when he said this in John 15. He said, if you stay joined to me, stay, you stay with me, and I stay with you, stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit. But you cannot do anything without me. You want to fight to win? You got to train to fight, and that comes with being with. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we're positioned to reflect him. Every day with him is a training opportunity. It's a training day. Be with God and be with those you're called to love. So be ready, be with, and third and final is be still. Be still. Now this may seem odd, may even seem wrong to be still, because in a normal physical altercation, that is the absolute best way to get hit. <laughs> Just be still. <laughs> but we're not fighting a normal fight. Our fight has a spiritual component which requires different tactics. In fact, there's a great moment in the Old Testament where the people of God are facing a, 
a throwdown moment with the armies of Egypt. And Moses turns to the people and he says this. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Be still. In your places of struggle, be still. Trust. Pray in those spaces. Wait. Be, be faithful in those spaces. Be, be still. Don't run. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Be still. Let God fight for you. In an argument, in the broken relationship, in, in the pain, be still. Be still. Let him fight for you as you fight for others. There is a time to walk away. There is a time to step away from harmful, abusive situations. And we're not talking about staying in those abusive, harmful dynamics. There's a time and place to call authorities into that and a time and place to walk away. Harmful, unsafe dynamics require special consideration. But know the difference between that and just people being people. Because in the day-to-day dynamics of people being people, there are spaces and opportunities to be still and let God fight for you. If you're ready and if you're willing to be with, he will fight for you. Be still. Don't let emotions take over. But rather train your heart and your mind that the word and the Holy Spirit lead. Be calm in those moments. Trust, call upon God, but, but fight for others and allow him to fight for you. Most of the time in many fights, it ends up just being about us defending ourselves or trying to right the wrong that was done to us. But I'm convinced that in every one of those spaces, God wants to be the one who is our deliverer and our defender. He wants to be deliverer and defender. If we'll just be still. I really think there's an opportunity for us to, to pause and to consider where we're living and where we're functioning. Because we only fight for what matters most in this space. Loving God, loving others. Forfeiting comfort for kingdom. This is the space we fight for what matters most. If we're functioning in other spaces, if we're someone who's struggling with an addiction, or we're struggling with lust, or we're giving in to just our own desires for ourselves, this is where we're sitting. If we're someone who's up here chasing things of God, but at the expense of other people, not willing to forfeit our own comfort and our own preferences for others in kingdom, there's no way we can love God without loving people. And if we're down here in this space, just trying to give people what they want, prioritizing them, and we think it's love, we're fooling ourselves. This is a space of self-indulgence. The space that we fight for what matters most is here. So... Be ready, be with, and be still. This reality is why we as a church invest the way we do. In prisons, in schools, in difficult, uncomfortable places, we're forfeiting comfort for kingdom. And if you're someone who, who lives in that space, you understand the fruit of it. If you're someone who's wanting to be in that space, step into it. If you today do not have a relationship with God, you can step in relationship with him through Jesus. You can move from self and comfort into kingdom and others by asking Jesus to be Lord. If you've been over here, kind of half in, you can step over, recommit your life and be all in. If you've been down here, you can repent and step up and say, Lord, I'm actually prioritizing you and your ground rules. I'm positioning you ahead of others because down here I was positioning others ahead of you. But, but be, be ready, be with and be still.
and then watch what God does. Ask where your relationships are. Ask where you're fighting, because you're fighting in any one of these three spaces. If you're chasing relationship in any one of these three spaces, you are not fighting for what matters most. God wants something better, for not only for you, but for those you're called to love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus. And thank you even when we wander, even when we live in other quadrants rather than being up and to the right, you are faithful in pursuing us. You call us to yourself. So Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live sacrificially now, that we'd be a people who sacrifice both before the fight and in the fight, but that we fight for what matters most. And I pray, God, that you would help each one of us to know where we need to be more ready, where we need to be more with, and where we need to be more still. Still in your presence, allowing you to fight for us as we forfeit comfort for kingdom, as we position others ahead of ourselves, but as we love you first and love others after that. So Jesus, speak as we worship, speak as we continue to reflect on your word. I pray this in the name of your son, in the name of our Savior, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.